This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today we speak with Frank Vono, partner at 16W Marketing on the business of professional football. There are many reasons why I think it could be much, much bigger. The fact that live sports still hold such a place in all of our hearts is, is a big deal. Stay tuned for more of our interview with 16W Marketing partner Frank Vuno. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Before we do that, i got to mention one thing. Christian uh, 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 Pulisic. Uh, yes. Yes. We talked about it in we the know, podcast. Yes, we know the money doesn't go to the him. The money doesn't go to we, him. Did anybody say anything that would have led the listeners to believe that we thought the money went to Pulisic? We it, know it, it goes it, to Dortmund. Yeah. I, I had mentioned that $73 million was like a, a, a NBA journeyman's salary, uh, which may have led to the confusion. I don't oh, know. Okay. But yes, well, that's a transfer fee. But there's still that pressure. Does not I mean, go it, to, uh, the transfer fee, even if it doesn't go to him, it's just that number will be attached to him. Therefore, the pressure is on him to live up to the amount they paid yeah. for him. Yep. Yes. We just wanted to clarify. All right. That. Just, all right. Enough. Okay. So, well, let's start, first of all, the NFL and attendance. The ratings are high. But attendance at the games have dropped. Well, Why? Well, well, you wonder, Bar. I'm serious. Well, there's, first of all, there's a lot of caveats on this one. And there was a team that was, you know, Mexico City game didn't get played. So they went to L.A. last minute. Some went to London. So, but on the whole, it, it's down. So that's a, a bit concerning if you're an NFL owner. But, and this is the big but, the huge money from pro football comes from media. And you can scale media. Seats in a stadium are a finite number. Let's remember a majority of people in this country, forget about the world, do not live near a stadium and will never go. It's how do you scale your product and sell highlights and clips and sports betting. How can you slice and dice and make money from the ancillary? Yeah, play the game. Yeah, you got to play the game. But then how do you make money and scale? Media is how you scale. So do you want your buildings filled? Of course you do. Of course you do. But I'm not pushing any panic buttons because there's a little slip in turnstile numbers. Yeah, if you'd given Roger Goodell the option before the season, hey, we're going to make your TV ratings up 5%, there's going to be a dip in attendance. He'd say, yes. where do I sign? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, looking at the numbers here, it's amazing, and, and, and this is true every year, but Dallas, so far ahead of everybody else. Dallas averaged ni- almost 92,000 people per game. The next closest, the Jets, at 77,000. Imagine um, if the Jets were that, good. <laughs> that is why you know the Cowboys are, are the A1 leader, head and shoulders above everybody else in local revenue. It's because with that stadium they have there and the fan base locally, uh, they're just bringing in so much more money than everyone else. Our next story from the dynamic duo right here. NFL signs Caesars as a casino partner. Uh, looks like we're inching toward betting deals. 
Yeah, the NFL didn't go as far as, as we've seen with baseball, hockey, and the NBA. This is a casino-only deal, so so Caesars is not allowed to uh, advertise its sports book in conjunction with the NFL marks. However, you know, after decades, or years, decades of, of objecting to the possibility of legalized sports betting, objecting to gaming as a whole, the uh, the NFL is jumping in with the casino partner. Uh, it's uh, according to our sources, uh, almost thirty million dollars a year. So even without the sports betting, that's what portion, the NBA got for more, the data. More than the right. NBA deal with, right. with MGM, um, which wasn't exclusive, and this is. So you know th- there are some differences there, but you know this sets the NFL up in the future if it wants to, either from a data perspective or from a just a sports betting marketing perspective for a much bigger contract in the future. You know, Jim Mirren's going to be knocking on the door uh, at MGM. I'm Mm. like, if I'm Caesars and I don't get this contract with the NFL, I am one upset puppy. Yeah, it's worth mentioning Caesars, a partner in the Las Vegas stadium where the Raiders will play. They're already uh, working with, I think, eight NFL teams already. Um, it's clear that Caesars is doing whatever it can to keep its relationship with the NFL going. Caesars are going to get his room in a pinch if he's not happy. Build more touch points, and this will certainly help. <laughs> Moving right along, uh, we're from the NFL going to college football, which kind of plays into the first story we talked about, about attendance. Tickets for Monday night's college football playoff title game between Alabama and Clemson have never been cheaper. So you're Alabama, obviously, East Coast, Clemson. South Carolina, yeah. East Coast, and we're playing this game in Santa Clara, home of the 49ers. That's not a one-hour trip. And sorry, Clemson, but most fans would probably say, what, what's the line, Evan? Uh, six and a half, I think. Six, six and a half. Six and a half. Right, most yeah. people probably think Alabama, fait accompli. I mean, some sports books even paid out Alabama as champions already. I can see why they're not they're not filling the stadium and the prices have to come down. Yeah, this seems like a mix of, of a lot of factors. Scott, you just mentioned that these two teams are both twenty seven hundred miles away. Uh, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, you know that area is not a hotbed for college football as it is. You know you can question you know whether this game should be played on a Monday night or maybe a weekend. Um, but as we talked about with the NFL. Same kind of thing. This is a TV property first and an in-person property second. And if the ratings are good, and I imagine they would be, they got the two slam dunk best teams in, in college football this year. And that's all they really care about. Syracuse next year. Finally, we have to say goodbye to a wrestling legend. Tonight in Madison Square Garden, throughout the wrestling world. You know some meeting? They proved it to themselves. All I ask. Me- WWE oh, legend, Mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, I mean, I grew up with Mean Gene Oakland and Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik. And, oh, man, I mean, he was, to me, like a mega broadcaster. He was the straight man to all the screaming, rowdy, yeah. rowdy, pipers, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, just fantastic. Miss this guy. 76. We're going to miss him. Yeah. He's, he was as good as he was as much a part of the WWE as any wrestler. Sergeant Slaughter, Hulk Hogan, Bruno Sammartin, you name it. That's saying something. We're going to miss you, Mean Gene. Now let's get to this week's interview with Frank Vunau, partner at 16W Marketing. He's a leader in the sports marketing industry, having consulted for more than half of the teams in the NFL and negotiated record-breaking partnerships and sponsorships, licensing, and merchandising. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Good to be with you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And before we we hit you with some questions, maybe you can set a little debate here at the office. You played football at Princeton. Yes. 
Eben Novi Williams, Novi underscore Williams on Twitter, which I hate, <laughs> he played lightweight football at Princeton where there's a weight limit. I don't think that counts, personally. <laughs> Does that count? I, I usually prepare, Evan. I'm glad you're a Tiger. But uh, Hey, those guys were tough, but uh, they had it hard at our place. I don't know when Evan was there. but uh, Yeah, he didn't win a game a either. Long... He didn't. He was in the yeah, street. He didn't okay. win. Yeah, I was at the, the I, I didn't want, I didn't want to bring that up. But... <laughs> <laughs> I feel so inadequate. I bowled on Monday nights. That's it. <laughs> no, 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 Frank. Michael Barr's lifetime best on the bowling alley. Two ninety nine. Wow! Could you imagine living with that? Yeah, wow. every day I think of that nine pin that just. So how does that happen? You miss one pin on the last. On throw the last shot, the twelfth shot wow. in the tenth frame, I threw it, and it was heading for the pocket, and I'm like, "Get the champagne, boys! <laughs> this is it!" Wow! And it wow. and it drove in hard, and it drove in so hard it left the nine pin. That's, oh, that's too bad. So you're, uh-huh. hey, hey, Frank, you're into sports yeah. marketing. You, you've seen it all. What's a better story? What could you market better, the 299 or a 300? <laughs> oh, man. Probably a 299. You, you know, go. a lot of people have had 300. You know, hey, bingo. So it's, it's it's the hard luck story. You know, that's probably a better one. You know, years ago, many years ago, I worked with Payne Stewart, and he was always known as Avis because he was number two and he tried harder. You know, so <laughs> oh, that's tough. That's it's a tagline we remember. Uh, but hey, Frank, you've been around a long time, though. I mean, what was it then? What is it now? You worked at the NFL, just sort of the entire ecosystem of sport. Did you see the rise to the multi-billion dollar international businesses that it is now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are many reasons why I think it could be much, much bigger, but uh, it would take me a while to, to, to outline all of that. But yeah, you know, it's funny. I've told the story many times that when I interviewed at the NFL, I'm, I'm glad I didn't cost myself the job, but I could have because I interviewed with the folks at the time in 1985. And at the end of the day, we all went out to dinner, the, the people I was interviewing with, and um, somebody asked me, so what do you think? And I said, well, geez, I think this business could be three times bigger than it is. And that kind of insulted people because <laughs> they thought they were doing such a great job. But uh, when I wound up leaving seven and a half years later, we were seven times as big, and um, it just continued to grow after that. So um, it does not surprise me with the way that um, – uh, the media has developed, the internet developed, um, the instantaneous news has developed. Uh, the fact that uh, live sports um, still holds such a place in all of our hearts is uh, is a big deal. And um, I, I, I tell a story that uh, I really, really admire Walt Disney, one of my idols uh, and one of my business inspirations. And um, I talk about the fact that uh, the entire Disney empire, which now, as you know, owns ESPN, so it's very involved in sports and ABC and so on. Um, you know, it all started with a cartoon mouse. That, so that's on the Disney. gates at Disney World. It yeah. says, never forget that it all started with a mouse. Yeah. Well, if you think about that and you think about taking that example um, to the NFL, for instance, and thinking about just, – just, just think about this. Most people – don't and and I call it to their attention. The NFL has never expanded beyond the actual playing of their games. Now it involves a lot of media and it involves a lot of publicity, but they're in the news 12 months out of the year, top of mind, by far America's most popular sport. 
But there's never been anything developed outside the playing of the games themselves. There's only the stadiums. There's only the training centers. But no one's ever taken that and compounded it into an entertainment empire. Or uh, You can't go visit anything that's NFL. And people say, oh, the Hall of Fame. But you know what? The Hall of Fame is not even owned by the NFL. So, and, you know, it's in Canton, Ohio, which, you know, is, is it's a great little place, but it's not the metropolis that New York or any place else is. And it's not a visitor center like Orlando or Vegas. So if you really think about the potential for the future, I think there's the, there, the sky's the limit. Maybe a lightweight football league. Sprint NFL. How about that? <laughs> You're going to keep coming back to that, huh? <laughs> it's a big part of his life, when, Frank. Uh, he can't, I don't let him live it down. <laughs> I, do think, I do think there'll be a developmental league for the NFL. If uh, one of these new leagues uh, doesn't happen to turn into that, I think eventually the NFL will develop uh, their own developmental league. I was I actually going to ask, when you look at, you know, it seems like, Certainly this year and in the past couple of years, there's been this huge push for, for a number of different types of investors and entertainment properties to try to create an, another professional football league in the U.S. Um, from a marketing standpoint, kind of where do you view those and, and their potential uh, likelihood for success? Well, we know many people have tried and failed, but I think they all made some critical mistakes and they tried to take on the NFL. You know, it's really funny. I was part of uh, the UFL being launched by Bill Hambrecht back uh, seven, eight years ago. And um, initially, I still believe that to this day, uh, initially I think there is room for uh, uh, another professional football league, but not to go up against the NFL in the fall really to be to be developed uh, as a feeder uh, to the NFL and to be played in the spring and to be played in markets where the NFL isn't. And I think there's tremendous potential because we know that there's an incredible talent level out there. There's thousands and thousands of really qualified college athletes coming out who could play ball at a very high level who for one reason or another just don't get the chance. And I can get into that in many different respects in terms of uh, if you look at the first-round draft picks uh, that people have failed on uh, and then you look at uh, Tom Brady's drafting in the sixth round. Uh, you know, the, there's a kid playing for uh, the Washington Redskins, a quarterback these last few games, who is actually on uh, the AAF roster, one of the new league's rosters in the spring. Uh, just and he did, you know, he did uh, pretty damn well. So when you look at the XFL, they're playing in the spring, good, not competing with the NFL. But the the first eight cities they chose: Houston, Dallas, L.A., New York, Seattle, Tampa, Washington, all NFL cities. You think that's that's necessarily not the right approach in terms of trying to cultivate? Yeah, I, I scratch my head about that. I actually had a conversation with Oliver Luck about that at the National Football Foundation College Football Hall of Fame dinner. And he said, Frank, you know, I asked him about it, and he said, you know, we think our fans are going to be the diehard football fans. And where else would you find diehard football fans but in the cities where NFL is played? Um, you know, I, I think that's questionable. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, they are going to play in the spring, which is great. Um, I think there's still a desire for football, uh, particularly in the month of February after uh, Super Bowl ends, but um, I think the AAF uh, going into uh, uh, markets that are you know great cities and good football cities, but um, uh, uh, not NFL cities, is a smart move. Plus, 
uh, if you're going to play in outdoor stadiums during that time period, you probably want to stay away from north of the Mason-Dixon line, which is what the AAF has done. So they're really going in two different directions, and uh, and we'll see. You know, uh, Vince McMahon is a tremendous promoter, so I think the backers of that particular league are betting that um, you know his clout and his marketing ability and promotional uh, expertise will help them a lot. Um, so uh, we'll see. But I, my point really is that I think that there's talent enough out there and there's enough players um, who have played at the high level at college who could still play and who for some reason or another you know, just haven't hooked on in the NFL. We're talking with Frank Vono with the 16W Marketing. And I want to talk about something and about the emotion of a project that you were with. You assisted the New Orleans Saints post-Hurricane Katrina and you helped secure millions of dollars in revenue during that time. And the, the future of the team was in doubt of being in Louisiana, not because the city didn't love them, but because of, of all of the, the horrific stuff that was going down there. Can you take us through that time on what that was like? Yeah, you know, I'm getting choked up again, goosebumps, just as you're talking about that. I have uh, tremendous emotions about that whole uh, entire um, experience. Uh, it's one of the reasons, frankly, uh, I really believe firmly that uh, Paul Tagliabue should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but that's another subject. Um, Paul was instrumental in um, in, in making uh, it happen for the Saints and for the Dome. Um, you know, I was on the first plane down with uh, Roger Goodell, who was lieutenant commissioner at the time, Paul Tagliabue and Gene Upshaw. Um, I was on the first uh, plane uh, after Katrina with them, and they kind of left me there. And uh, we did a Mission Impossible thing and set up an office down there uh, to help the Saints stay. Um, it wasn't just because of the horrific aspects of what had happened post-Katrina, but um, uh, it was also that um, Mr. Benson was going to move the team to San Antonio because up until that time, he didn't have a hell of a lot of corporate support. And um, he had a car dealerships in San Antonio. He had a deal pretty much in place with uh, the Alamo Dome. And he had all of his agreements end coterminously, which is just a no-no in, uh, in sports marketing. You usually stagger your agreements so you don't have to go out and get renewals each year. You usually stagger them about 20%, one every five years expiring and so on. So all of that um, came to play. But uh, the remarkable thing was that uh, um, the city of New Orleans, all of its key business people and so on, just said, if the Superdome goes dark and the Saints move away, our city could actually die. Our city could really go away because it'll send a message to the world that um, our, our city is dark and our city has has died, and we just can't let that happen. Do you think they were right, Frank? Yeah. I mean, New Orleans has so yeah, much. Yeah, you to know, offer. there was there was a there was a cover there was a cover article of U.S. News and World Report on my second trip down when I came home and packed and everything to go back down. I was going through LaGuardia Airport. And I'll never forget, the, I saw a magazine in Iraq, which was a U.S., I think it was a U.S. News and World Report. And on the cover, it said, America has never lost a city. Will New Orleans be the first? And it could have potentially happened. You know, literally half the population of the city was wiped out and still hasn't returned to this day, uh, the Ninth Ward and so on. Uh, 
so it, it was it was on shaky ground. Um, now you know I, I agree with you. I love the city, so I think it has a lot more to offer. But that was what the business people told us. So you know I'm just going kind of by what they said. So it was a remarkable remarkable effort by so many people. Um, uh, you know I, I I was bonded with the Saints personnel and uh, and. Uh, Paul Tagliabue said, uh, and, and the people that run the stadium, um, there's a guy by the name of Doug Thornton, which uh, he could do a documentary which would just uh, bring tears to your guys' eyes. The, 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 the stuff that he went through uh, during the uh, storm um, and, and what went on inside that stadium, which was, when you used a great word, uh, horrific. It was horrific. It, the police actually left because they feared for their own lives. So what went on there was just horrible. But um, Paul stood on the floor of the stadium and said to Doug Thornton, you know, can we need to have this open for next season. This was December, and he wanted to make sure – he wanted to get it open by September. And Doug just said, that's just not possible. We had holes in the roof. The place was just the, – the, all the, the floor was ripped up. Uh, the place was destroyed. Um and uh, Paul said, well, what if, what if I go to all the NFL owners and I get them to uh, kick in so we can get this started? And Doug said, well, that would help a lot. So Paul went to all the owners, had them contribute a million dollars each um, to get the renovation started. And then we worked with FEMA um, relentlessly after that and ultimately spent $180 million to renovate the place. And when we reopened, we couldn't get it open for the first game of the season <laughs> it was a little story that just shows you some. Sometimes you scratch your head. Uh, you know, I was working with the NFL folks uh, who were in charge of the network broadcasts, and I said, you know, we got to get their first game on television on Monday night. And they were like, well, you know, it's the Saints. They're not so good. I was like, are you kidding me? You wait a know? minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me yeah. the TV people at the NFL didn't understand the compelling yeah. narrative of getting. The Saints' yeah. first game on TV. That's sad. Do yep. they still work there? No. Okay, good. No, that's what that's what I'm telling you. So, a little known secret, but I won't I won't name names. But you probably look up the dates. But anyway, <laughs> that was that was a fact. But we got it Monday night, and you know, wound up with uh, New Orleans performers and uh, just you two and the, just the whole thing. And um, the return when we were outside that stadium, people started gathering on the concourse four or five hours before the gates opened, just in tears and just so excited. And, you know, one of the most emotional times in, in my professional career, I was there with all the folks outside. and It was just hugging and it was just a celebration. Just one of the greatest days in my in my career. So, Were you there in Miami when they won the Super Bowl? I was, absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, I'm a big New York Giants fan, but I got a place in my heart for the Saints forever. Frank, you've been doing it a long time. Who's doing it best these days? Which team, which league, who does it the best and why? Great question. Great question. Um, hard to argue in the NFL uh, that the Cowboys and the Patriots don't do it great, um, regardless of what your feelings might be. Um, you know, they've persevered. Um, Patriots obviously have translated into success on the field. Dallas has been uh, much more frustrated about that, but from a marketing standpoint, uh, they do a pretty awesome job. Um, obviously, you know, across the leagues, uh, uh, the NBA has really been able to um, spread themselves internationally, which the NFL hasn't done, and that's a huge credit to them. Um, I think that bodes well for 
their future. Um, so I give them uh, a lot of credit. And Adam Silver um, uh, has been able to uh, avoid all the controversies that Roger has had to take on. I think rather unfairly, but that's another story. Um, um, but he's been able to stay above the fray. And MLB a while ago, um, I, I don't think they get enough credit, but they launched um, ML uh, BAM and their MLB Network. They were they were the first, so they they were they were leaders in that category. A um, little tougher sell on baseball, given the attention spans of all uh, our millennials and now whatever generation we're on, Generation Z and so on. But um, they did a great job with all that. So uh, those, those leagues still uh, continue to lead. Um, I wish college would catch up. I really wish... Um, You're not alone I'm scratching. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a couple of things. I think college athletes ultimately really need to be paid or at least uh, have a stipend. I think it's just a shame that they're exploited to the extent that they are. And I think it would really be easy for the NCAA and for um, all the college organizations to have that happen. I, I You know, I been involved in the licensing business almost my entire professional career if just some small portion of um, uh, you know that you can't sell uh, you take the most popular player in college these days you can't sell their jersey with their name on it they're, yeah. they're, they're not licensed but let me tell you Frank that. I thought that this was an easy way for universities to actually make more money what I would do is sell the blank jersey in the bookstore and right there in the bookstore, I would also offer iron-on name and number. That way, I'm not selling it that way, but I know who they want. So let the customer come in, charge them extra to put the name and number on. It's their call, not yours. So you're doing it the okay. Yeah, but then, but, then, the, but, then the, but the reason they don't do that is uh, the, player, the, the player would have a suit on their hand for their own identity. And that, you know, that would raise all sorts of issues. Um, for years, uh, video game companies used college players' names. Mm-hmm. Yep. They ultimately sued and won, uh, rightfully so. My point was really exactly the opposite. Why is that? Why, why, why not? Um, you know, the jersey business in the NFL is a huge part of their sales. Huge. The, 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 by far the largest uh, single uh, item that's sold with NFL identity on it. Uh, in college, it's a tiny, minute portion of sales. It's two or three percent of sales. It's hard to hard to fathom, and I know that for a fact because I've consulted for some of the college licensing companies. So, if if college caught up to even half of what the NFL does as a percentage of business with their jersey sales, if they could put the players, uh, uh, student athletes' names on the jerseys, uh, they would be they they would absolutely make enough money to support. Um, and they should stipend to the, the the people that are playing college athletics. But the reason that doesn't happen and the reason players aren't paid in any capacity beyond their the, the full cost of attendance and their scholarship is that, you know, the, the powers that be in college sports think that they will be losing money if they if they do that. It sounds like in given your expertise, you're arguing the opposite, that, that there is a lot more money on the table to be made both for players and for, for universities and conferences themselves if they were to kind of open up a more commercial model akin to what the pros do. Absolutely. I, I could say that unequivocally, and I think uh, it would take – it would take a national body like the NCAA to have to make that happen. Think about the money for March Madness alone. 
Think about the money from March Madness. That's all entire revenue. (laughs) Think about, about, you know, the dollars that roll in and what small percentage you would have to take. I'm not talking about making college players uh, professional players. I'm just talking about giving them enough spending money and so on. Let Let them sign their autographs for money. Really? I mean, is that really a sin in this country? Uh, you can bet on the college games. You can go and gamble now in many states and uh, and so on. And, uh, you know, the colleges and the NCAA is, 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 you know, raking in all the dough. It's hard to believe that a, that a kid that's uh, 20 years old who's popular in his, in his local market can't sign an autograph and get paid for it. It's just hard to believe. Uh, I don't get it. You just uh, you just went right into the next question I was going to ask. What do you think of now you have sports betting, and how does this affect marketing for not just the NFL but for any major sport? It's funny. I'm you know I'm an Italian from New Jersey, so I, I don't know. For some reason, I've been getting a lot of calls. Wait, 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 wait. You're Italian from New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. If, uh, for some reason, people think I'm expert at that. <laughs> I was a kid from Detroit, so you know what happens. <laughs> there you go. So, so you know, um, it, it's the next billion-dollar pot, um, and uh, it's it's only going to get bigger. Um, it, it's inevitable. Uh, society has changed. Uh, many people think of uh, marijuana now as a victimless kind of thing, and that's been legalized. And Gambling, uh, again, even though we know that it's not necessarily true, but most people think it's a victimless uh, uh, activity, and um, and it goes on regularly, so why not tap into it and generate tax revenue and so on? Um, it's opened up uh, incredible doors for the pro leagues and teams to associate themselves with casinos, each of the leagues now has done official deals, three or four deals each with the NBA and the NHL, and I'm sure eventually the NFL will follow suit. They're always a little bit more conservative, but I think they're probably working on some blockbuster deals as they look to generate more dollars. And it will happen, maybe not this next month, but probably in the next year or two. And all the leagues will follow along. Frank Vono with 16W Marketing. Thank you so much. We appreciate you talking with us. Uh, it's great being with you guys. Anytime. Takeaways, I, I was really moved when he talked about the New Orleans Saints and that whole rebuilding process after Hurricane Katrina and all that they went through and all the efforts he put into that it, how it was so gratifying for him. Well, I have a simple one, that there are some dolts working in places that shouldn't. <laughs> they didn't want to put the Saints yeah. return? Yeah. The first game back? They, oh, I'm not so sure if we should. Are you kidding me? If there were, ever was a no-brainer, that's it. I wanted him to name names as to who did not, who at the league did not see the merit or the ne- Like, why wasn't the network screaming? Of course we're taking the Saints. Make it happen. Unbelievable. I'd like to see Frank uh, speaking on a panel at NCAA convention uh, later this month, specifically about this idea that players can get a little bit more from a compensation standpoint and it can still be tremendously profitable for everybody involved. As we've talked about many times on this show, the fear of paying players from people in administrative levels in college sports is that there's not enough money to go around. He clearly feels the opposite, that with smart marketing and a good strategy, more money can be had by all. Best accent on the show thus far. We've been doing it for a while now. Peter Goober, New England, 
Frank Vono, New Jersey. Mm. I mean, there right now when we have the bracket set up, when we're all said and done, those two could very well meet in the championship game. <laughs> My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. So easy. I, this is so easy. You don't even. Yeah, uh, there are two numbers, two numbers. All and it, I'm and say. it's not number of the week; it's numbers of the week. We'll make this plural. Okay. Numbers of the week. All right. Five and eleven. Five and eleven. I'm looking at Mr. Novi Williams quizzically. The height in feet and inches <laughs> of five and eleven. Dennis Potvin and eleven. I don't know what I have. No idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once again, Barr is like, come on, give come me on. Gene Oakland again. Come on. You, you talked about them all the time. We talked about That's them. the record of the New York Giants. And you said Jets. It, no, you also said Giants. I did not say Giants. You, I said you Jets. You made fun of the Giants. I did not. Yes, you I mean, have. I just said, yes, a, a city with no NFL team. Well, I said. Oh, I'm that, sorry. That, that, when we said New York. <laughs> the reason why I bring that up is because now for the first time, there is chatter for real that they're starting to maybe look beyond Eli Manning. Well, he, he's not 22, speaking of a number. I mean, they have not won a whole lot of games since his last Super Bowl. They're sub-500 and... He's getting up there. It's you got a plan for the future, Bar, and might be a good time to start right now. Yeah, no, and, and I'm not knocking him. I mean, it's, I know other people will, but I'm not going to do that. Two Super Bowls with the Giants. I mean, hey, that, that's doing. Something. And allow me to stress, by the way, it's a team game. If you're a quarterback and you're rushed and you're hurried all the time, it's not an easy position. It's, let's just not put all of this on Eli Manning. This yeah. is a team game. He's 38 years old. Yes. I mean, you guys make fun of me for being old. That's older. You're that's almost sig- as, you're almost as old is, as Eli Manning. That is significantly older. Um, <laughs> and yet he looked, Eli looks better than it, him. <laughs> Eli must moisturize around the eyes. It, it doesn't matter how talented you are when you become 38 years old and you're a starter in the NFL. You know teams have to start preparing for the eventuality that you're not going to be there in a couple of years because you're not going to be there in a couple of years. I, I think it totally makes sense whether he's the starter next year or not. Uh, the future of the New York Giants uh, does not include Eli Manning at this point. It ain't Sam Darnold. No, don't tell that the 41-year-old Tom Brady. But I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Like I said, it's a team game. You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the man in charge of the money at the NFL, Brian Rolak. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online, where our podcast is available. 